0: Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 US Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Scripture today. We thank You for the resurrection. We thank You for Jesus. And Father, I pray through the pages of Scripture today, we will see the promise that the resurrection has given us. The hope that we all have and that we cling to That song that we just sang said, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone because I know He holds the future. Life is worth the living just because Jesus lives. And so Lord, speak to Your service today for we're listening. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen and amen. As I often do, I want to begin with a question today. What is the gospel? I don't expect you to answer it right now. But I do expect you to think about it. And I expect you to be able to give an answer. If someone were to ask you, What is this gospel that you speak of? What difference has the gospel made in your individual life? How would you respond? What would be the answer? There's a lot of talk today about being gospel-centered, gospel-focused. But what does that mean? To quote one of my favorite movie characters, Inigo Montoya, maybe you know that name. They keep using that word, but I do not think it means what they think it means. We have to get the gospel right, brothers and sisters. You see, we don't have an option of whether or not to get the gospel of Jesus Christ right. And what we have to understand today is that it is not a man-centered thing. It's not predicated on anything that you or I have done. It isn't a set of propositions. It's not a lifestyle. It's not anything we accomplish or that we do. It isn't a perspective on life. It doesn't enable you to live your best life now. If you think that, ask Brother Peter how that worked out for him. The Gospel is a historical truth. It's something that has happened. It's something that God did for you and I. In the book, The Heart of the Church, Pastor Joe Thorne writes, to say it simply, the Gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now that is is saying it quite simply. There's much more that we could say and that needs to be said, but that is our starting point. The gospel is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 5 says that I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then the twelve... Notice what Paul speaks of when he speaks of the gospel there in that text. He speaks about Christ's righteous life. He speaks about His atoning death, and then he finalizes it by focusing on the victorious resurrection from the grave. The Apostles' Creed, which has stood... The test, as a test for centuries of of orthodox Christianity, the Apostles' Creed affirms all those very same things. I want to put it on the screen for you. And what I want to ask you to do is as I read that test of Christian orthodoxy, I want you to read it with me aloud, because I believe it's always a good thing to verbalize what we believe, to speak it out loud. And it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty." From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So one of the great creeds of our faith affirms the very same things that the Apostle is focusing on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It speaks of of the the righteousness of Jesus. It speaks of the atoning sacrifice. And it speaks of the victorious resurrection from the grave. These things happened, brothers and sisters. Search the pages of history. This isn't an apologetics style sermon this morning. I won't take all of my time defending the the truth of the resurrection, but it happened, brothers and sisters. And by it, you are saved. And by it, I am saved. But I want to ask this morning, as we look at the Gospel of John, how do we apply this to our individual lives? If someone asks you, what did the resurrection do for you? What did Christ's righteousness do for you? How would you respond? What did it accomplish? And so we use the Gospel of John as our guide, and let's spend the next few moments attempting to answer that question. John chapter 1, and we're going to begin with verse 29. The first thing that we see as we look at the pages of Scripture and we think about the resurrection of Jesus is substitution. Substitution. Verse 29 of John 1, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To say that you and I deserve death and punishment is a gross understatement. Romans 6 and 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says, All our righteous acts are as filthy rags. We could never atone. We could never pay for our sin nature, for our offense against God. We needed a substitute And John the Baptist has found the substitute in John chapter 1 and verse 29 as he speaks of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice that he's called the Lamb of God. The sacrifice of a lamb as a substitute or as an atonement For sin. That idea runs throughout the Old Testament. It began with Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. It continued in Leviticus chapter 14 as they referred to a lamb who was a guilt offering. That title here in the New Testament refers to the atoning work of Christ, to his substitutionary work on our behalf. John 3 and 16. That verse of Scripture that we all know and love well, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. In that verse we clearly see that this is the gift of God, given freely, an unearned gift to all those who would believe. Why? It says, so that none would perish but have eternal life. Life. Do you see the, the great exchange there? Do you see the swap, so to speak? Our sin for Christ's imputed righteousness. Our punishment for the righteousness of God, for eternal life in God's presence. And I say again, you couldn't do it. I could not do it. Our best is not good enough. Those who come to Christ must firstly realize that they need a substitute. And Christ is that substitute. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ lived in our stead so that we could be counted as righteous. Not only did He live in our stead, but brothers and sisters, He died in our stead. He died for us so that we could know God's forgiveness. But there's another sense in which Christ died for God. And that leads us to our next point today. We've seen substitution, but continuing on we see satisfaction. Satisfaction, and we find that reference in John chapter 19 if you'll turn ahead there. John chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 30. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst... A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to His mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and He gave up His spirit. Notice what Christ is saying there in verse 28. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished. Verse 30, He said, It is is finished. What was finished? Was it just His life? It was His work. Many theologians believe that Christ was thinking back to John chapter 17 and verse 4 when He said, I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that You gave Me to do. And on the cross, Jesus in His final moments says, It is finished, Lord. The work that you gave me to do, the the substitutionary atonement, the satisfaction of the wrath of God, it's finished. In the Expositor's Bible commentary, they say that the phrase, it is finished, signifies the completion of Jesus' work and was the establishment for a basis of faith. Nothing further needed to be done. His act was voluntary and confident, for he had discharged perfectly the Father's purpose and was triumphantly leaving the scene of his human struggle. When Jesus said, It is finished, he was not admitting defeat, it was a shout of victory. It is finished. God, it is done. I have fulfilled your will. I have brought glory to you and I have saved your people. That's what was finished. He was our substitute. He bore in Himself the wrath of God that was yours and that was mine. And He poured it out on His Son. He satisfied our debt. Salvation is finished. It is the completed work of Christ. You say, what do you mean by that? Sin demands punishment. A debt must be paid. And God is holy and just and righteous. And brothers and sisters, we are not, so we owe God. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Yes, it had. But He washed it white as snow. The cross was an expression of that. Because you see, just as God is forgiving, He's also just. And so He doesn't forgive us by simply writing off our transgressions. First John 2 and 2 says that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. And that word, propitiation, literally, essentially means to satisfy. Jesus was the satisfaction for our debt, for our penalty, for the wrath that we deserved. And so in the cross, we see an expression of God's forgiveness, yes, His love, yes, but also of His His righteousness, His holiness. Romans 5 and 8, "...but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." Do you believe that? Have you trusted in that? 1 John 4 and 9, "...in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him." It has been manifested... It has been put on public display. It has been proven. We see, we see it in the substitution of Christ. And we see it in the satisfaction that Christ provided. And finally, we see it in victory. Now, Pastor Tim was angry at me this morning because our final point didn't start with an S. <laughs> He tried to make me force it, but I said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. But turn with me to John chapter 20. It wouldn't be Resurrection Sunday without reading the account of the resurrection. And so begin with me in John 20 and verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, "'They have taken our Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid Him.' So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stood looking in. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb." supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where they have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He had said these things to her. Turn over to verse 31 very quickly. John says at the end of this chapter, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. The death of Christ is our message, brothers and sisters. That's what we proclaim. A message of victory. You say victory, how how is it victory? Christ died on a cross. And yes, if Christ had simply died, Christianity would be a dead religion. We would be a dead religion with a dead prophet. But Christ's resurrection puts Him in a category of All by Himself. John 10 and verse 18, Jesus said, "...No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord." I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from My Father. Christ had authority. He had victory over death and over hell and over the grave. His life was not taken from Him. He said He laid it down willingly. And He took it up again. And that's the victory that we speak of today. And that victory points us to a promise. If you still have your Bibles open, turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 not too many pages over from the Gospel of John, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, "...and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh." created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Christ's resurrection enables our resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus points us to a promise that we can have new life, that we don't have to remain in our deadness and in our sin And more than just life, it gives us victory in this life. Victory to overcome sin. Victory to overcome temptation. Victory to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead on that first resurrection day is the same Spirit that raises men and women today. It's the same Spirit that resides in the followers of Jesus, those who have trusted in Him and have repented of their sins. Joe Thorne writes, There's no good news for sinners if Jesus did not live a perfect life on our behalf. Nor is there any good news for us if He did not die on the cross for our sins. Nor is there any good news if Jesus did not also rise from the dead. All this is the gospel. And it's history. It is a foundation for our doctrine. Thanks be to God for the resurrection. He is risen, brothers and sisters. He's risen indeed. Don't forget it. Don't ever forget it. The gospel is our everything. It is our central focus and we must never lose sight of it. It's not a one-time message that you need to hear and then say a prayer or repent or go to an altar or join the church and then you're good. No, you need to hear the gospel. You need to continually hear the gospel. You need to continually repent and believe. Parents, you need to be preaching the gospel in your homes. Grandparents, teach your children. Share the gospel. Keep it before us. Lee Strobel was once an agnostic, a skeptic, A journalist, and he went on a quest to disprove Christianity. And after trying his hardest, he finally reached a point where he could not disprove Christianity. And he repented of his sins and he trusted in Christ. And he wrote, I didn't become a Christian because God promised me I would have an even happier life than I had as an atheist or an agnostic. He never promised any such thing. Indeed, following Him would inevitably inevitably bring divine demotions in the eyes of the world. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved His divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following Him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. I say to you today, that the most logical and rational thing that you can do is to follow Jesus. And I say that to you, if you're a longtime Christian, and you've been a member of the church for decades, or whether you have never believed in Christ, the most rational and logical thing that you can do today is to believe. To believe in the name of the Son of God. Christ was our substitute. His substitution satisfied God's demands. It paid our debt. And that gives us victory victory in this life and hope of a future. And if you have never turned to Him and believed, in His name, and received His gospel. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so I urge you today, Christian, to remember. But I also urge you to repent and to believe. This is the Word of God. This is for us, His people, and I say thanks be to God for it. Heavenly Father, thank you for Scripture. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus, who was my substitute. And His substitution atoned, it satisfied your demands, God. It paid my penalty. It settled my debt. And that gives me victory. That gives me hope. Not only on Resurrection Sunday, not only during the Easter season, but every day, for we are resurrection people. So, Lord, may we remember today. And if we've never believed, pray that by the power of Your Spirit, You will convict, and You will draw, and You will save. It's in the name of Christ we pray and ask these things God's people said. Amen. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.